they are perpetuating an image of me being the uh, the grim, uh, dark sort of Teutonic guy out there who the doomsday sayer. <laughs> That, of course, was the voice of Werner Herzog, our guest on today's Movie Maker Interviews. My name is Tim Malloy. Werner Herzog's latest film, Family Romance, LLC, opens with a young woman named Mahiro meeting a man who says he's her father. But it soon turns out that he's an entrepreneur named Yuichi Ishii, who runs a family rental business. What is a family rental business? Well, if you need a father for a wedding, a school function, or just some advice, Yuichi is your man. Yuichi Ishii really does run a family rental business, and it really is called Family Romance. But this film is not a documentary. We'll let Werner Herzog explain. He's made more than 70 films, but this is his first in Japanese, a language he does not speak. Werner Herzog will tell us how he did it. He also gives us some great parenting advice, tells us about a viral video that he loves, and clarifies some comments he's made previously about dogs. Here's Werner Herzog talking about Family Romance, LLC, now available on Movie. I very much enjoyed the film. I didn't realize when I started watching it that this was based on a real thing, that there really is a Japanese family rental agency that your main character, Yuishi Ishii, yeah. really runs a family rental agency and performs as an actor. When did you first learn of this phenomenon? I learned uh, uh, about this through a former film student, a rogue film student of mine. <laughs> I founded a wild guerrilla style uh, film school <laughs> as an antithesis against all the uh, stupidity of film schools. And uh, I always had the feeling he was also a, a wonderful writer. His name is Rock Morin. And I encouraged him to also write. And all of a sudden, out of the blue, he sent me a, uh, an article that he had published about uh, Yuichi Ishii. And I immediately went back to him and I said, this is, this is big. This is so big. Uh, there has to be a film. You have to make a film right away. But he was kind of hesitant and... Um, was not really fully ready to to do it and and I said but it has to be done it's so big and somehow I, I said well should I do it and then he said oh yeah please go ahead let's do it and let's do it together he would be producer I would do the screenplay basically and um, I would direct the film so we started out almost instantly you see from the moment I had ever had heard of the uh, of this phenomenon until I started shooting there were only three months mm. tremendous and you've obviously made straight documentaries and you've also made fictionalized versions of true events I think this would fall more into the latter category why did no, 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 wrong 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 mm -hmm. so it's a it's a, a purely narrative fiction film mm -hmm. And for example, Agiri, the Wrath of God is in a way also based on some real events on uh, Conquistador, Spanish Conquistador, Lope de Aguirre, 
who um, is almost unknown because there's very little documentation on him in history, only maybe uh, 10 pages uh, of, um, of written documentation about him, all in all, and that's it. Uh, <clears throat> but here, uh, what you see in the film is almost entirely my own inventions. Uh, although I had heard from Ishii, uh, Yuichi Ishii stories of his everyday experiences in life, mm -hmm. it was part of my deal with him, tell me some stories in, in two short afternoons, and he did. But I started to invent beyond that, and every almost everything that you see is invention. For example, the lottery winner, the scene at the bullet train where he apologizes from the mistake of somebody else and has a ranting and the, uh, takes the brunt of the ranting for somebody else, or the robot hotel or the oracle at the, towards the end of the film, or the Instagram photos of his little, uh, of the little girl Mahiro, the funeral home, the hedgehog cafe, you just name it. It's, um, it's all my own inventions. So that goes to my next question. Mahiro yeah. is a pure actress, right? She is not. No, she, of course. Yes, I mean, none of them is, is, is a professional actor, mm -hmm. but they all come in. That was the second part of my agreement with uh, Yuichi Ishii. Please help me in casting from your, and I said, quote unquote, stable of performers, stable of impersonators. And he's uh, almost 2,000 by now. <laughs> and we did, for each role we had uh, selected, or he had selected about five or six whom we invited. And they all had experience with impersonating characters. Um, and you see that there were, there were performers mm -hmm. for his agency. And... Uh, while we were doing uh, the casting sessions, he behind the camera uh, would feed the potential actors with uh, such intelligent questions and with such great uh, sensitivity that I said to him, you, you have to be my leading actor as well. And he said, well, I'm not an actor. How can I do that in the movie? And I don't dare to do that. And I said, well, uh, leave it up to me because in movies, Thanks God, uh, there's not only actors, but there are also directors. Mm -hmm. And I know how to make you a real, real fine actor. And he's magnificent. And the girl uh, who came out of nowhere, 12 years old, is, is she's world class. Now, she's not a little girl who's missing her father. Who he no, 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 no. Her, actually, okay. her real father is in the film itself. <laughs> he plays he plays a confidante of uh, uh, Yuichi Ishii towards the end of the film. I love and him. He, he's actually a well-known psychic on Japanese TV. Mm. <laughs> now you speak so many languages. Do you speak Japanese? Not a word. I mean, five <laughs> words, but <laughs> literally nothing. But uh, the way I would sculpt a scene was. Um, explaining an, an incident, explaining a scene very, very precisely. 
to my actors through a very intelligent uh, interpreter yeah. and tell them exactly and, and please hit certain marks exactly with dialogue. All the rest of the dialogue, make it up yourself. An example, um, uh, is she uh, playing, uh, impersonating the father of the 12-year-old? She becomes more and more confident and he's in the park. She wants to show him she's proud. She wants to show him her uh, new school uniform. And he's very proud how well it fits her. And she starts to show him Instagram photos. Yeah. And I selected Instagram photos on the real, very um, cell phone of the real Mahiro. And I said to her, there's a wonderful one with you in a yoga pose on a beach. And this should be number four of the photos that you show. And please explain each photo when your father gets curious. But they had to make up the curiosity and the dialogue over the photos. Phone, uh, photo number four, since your father, you know it because you're an actress here, your father is an impersonator, but you start to lie to him as well. And the father asked, well, this is a beautiful sunset at a beautiful beach. Where was this photo done? And Mahiru says, well, my mother took this photo in Bali. In the next scene, it turns out when Ishii picks up his uh, weekly paycheck, he learns from the mother that mother and daughter were never in Bali. Mahiru just wants to make her life more interesting. Uh, <laughs> and starts to, to feed in little lies. So both are lying to each other. And that had to be, it had to come with very great precision, that it was in Bali and the yoga pose and the beach and, uh, and so, and, and it had to uh, culminate in this dialogue. And the rest, since I was my own cinematographer, I was always the closest to the actors. I did not want to have uh, translation simultaneously fed into my ear. Uh, I had my ears free and I just listened to the Japanese. And very quickly, as a non-Japanese speaker, you could tell, you could tell that the intonation, the flow, the enthusiasm was absolutely wonderful. And I said, after a second time shooting, no more, this is wonderful. And I asked the interpreter, did all the key sentences that were scripted, precisely scripted, were they all in the dialogue in the interpreter? She said, yes, yes, and, and they did it really well. And I said, move to the next scene. So you know human beings well enough that you can tell a good take from a stiff take? Yes. Or just through the emotion? It's not only emotion, it's, uh, it's a whole complex image. Uh, it's also, of course, um, they made some movement which I didn't expect right away. Did I follow with my camera with a little bit of retardation, but curiosity somehow guided to the right spot uh, at the um, cell phone, for example. So it's, it's a complexity of things, facial expressions, intonation, rhythm, emotion. Um, you, you have to have that in you when you are doing movies. Yeah. Otherwise, you shouldn't be a, a, a director of movies.
I want to ask something, and I'm sorry if this is reductive or overly personal or anything like that, but your own father left when you were very young. This film is about people who are often trying to find replacement rental fathers. Yeah. Do you think that, do you think your own life story is what attracted you to this? No, because I, my older brother and I, we were both very glad that we didn't have a field marshal around who would <laughs> command us around and tell us what was right or wrong. So we, were, we, we grew up, we grew up in a very pleasant, wonderful uh, pre-dawn of anarchy, meaning there was no ruling uh, set up by uh by by a father figure who uh who would tell us what to do in fact uh, we were both re-educating our own mother it's not that our of course the mother would educate us and she did it by example uh, when we were older even until we were grown-ups we were uh, 19 and 18 and my older brother and i bought a motorcycle and we had minor accidents on a weekly basis I mean, always with bodily injuries, a broken, a broken uh, finger or whatever, and abrasions. And my mother summons us, she sits us down for dinner, and she was a heavy smoker all her life. And she's smoking and she stubs out her cigarette. And she said, boys, I think uh, that um, smoking cigarettes is a, is a bad idea. And you know what, uh, this was my last one. And uh, at the same time, I have to tell you, having this motorcycle is a bad idea. There will be more serious stuff coming at you. One of you is eventually going to die. And I think it's a bad idea. And you know what? We sold the motorcycle within a week and we never rode on the motorcycle again. And she never, ever smoked again. So she was by example, but sometimes when I say re-educate, when she, according to us, uh, did or said something wrong, we would, my older brother who was strong, would lift her up and refuse to release her back to the ground until she promised to change her ways. So, <laughs> no, I, I was always, uh, very often it is with uh, boys that um, it doesn't do good to them when there's no father around. In our case, it was fantastic. It was the best, best, of, best of worlds, not to have a father around. And we always knew it. And we joked about it when we were five, six, seven years old. Did it affect you as a father in terms of your, I asked this because I have a child who's a month old and I sort of wonder how heavy of a hand I should have. Did it affect your, your parenthood? Uh, well, I think, uh, Number one, congratulations, it can't get any better to have a little daughter. Now talk to her, sing to her. Yeah, you have to immediately and don't don't speak in baby speech. Right. I've seen I've seen a video that has gone viral of a young African American who talks to his toddler girl, a boy, and they're watching some TV show. And the way he talks to, to the kid is so incredibly wonderful. And the kid is speaking in some sort of real sentences, but it's, it's invented babble, but it has an intonation of dialogue and how the father reacts. It's, it's absolutely wonderful. 
you have you will find it on, find on it. the internet because it had a hundred million hits within a, a few days and, and that's that's being father at at his best mm. just learn from the guy and i see it strangely enough i see this kind of interaction of warmth and brilliance and and intensity and emotion i see it only with african-americans they have it i've never seen with anyone uh latino or caucasian or so it's it's african-americans who have something that none of us has interesting watch you have to watch oh you have to point out the video i wish i would know how to find it on youtube <laughs> i'll find it yeah, yeah. You've traveled so much and made films in so many places now, including Japan. Does that give you a fresh eye? I mean, does that just give, just keep films exciting for you in a way that it, they wouldn't be exciting if you're always shooting in the same place? Well, it came out of the blue uh, that uh, this was a phenomenon in Japan. But I immediately knew it was not a, just a Japanese phenomenon. It had to do with... Uh, uh, profound existential solitudes that uh, is coming at us as well at aging populations, at the sol solitude of uh, human beings that are too much on the internet. Yeah. Uh, I have seen a girl when I did a film on the internet uh, um, and um, I met a girl who had done, she's actually not in the film, but I met a girl, 15 or 16 year old, who uh, was doing as an average, constantly um, texting. She did 2,400 texts a day in 24 hours. And, and she was the saddest of all of the sad. Uh, and of course, her 2,400 friends, if you ask yourself, and if she had asked herself who are real friends, they were all virtual friends. She had met uh, any of them with the exception of a handful. 2,380 of the friends were, were virtual friends with thumbs up and a heart pulsing in, in their answer. So uh, this kind, this type of solitude uh, is, is coming very big time at us and being able to create the reality that you want, such as a person who's choosing the family that they want and paying for that family. Yes. <clears throat> and it's not just paying for missing family members. It's sometimes very simple that somebody feels solitary and, and would like to have a great afternoon with a, with a companion and playing cards and drinking beer and, uh, and, and chasing women or something and they do together and they do selfies and put it on, on, on the internet, on their social platforms to show how good a time they have. Although they are deeply solitary and, and buried uh, and hidden in, in, in a small room with the shutters darkened. One thing I really loved in this film is how long you linger on the shot of the hedgehog and them just playing with the hedgehog. Yeah. And then I read a New York Times interview with you where they sort of pressed you on what you thought was cute. And they asked you if you thought Baby Yoda was cute. And they asked you if you thought dogs were cute. Yeah. And you didn't think either of them were cute. 
yes, but with dogs, but they didn't continue because, of course, I, I like dogs, but they are, they can be wonderful companions for, for example, for, for the hunt mm -hmm. or for traveling on foot to have a, a loyal companion with you who, so yes, I see loyalty and I see uh, uh, other things. Cuteness is only with the little pets for, um, but, but I never saw dogs as real pets. I see them as, as some sort of little comrades that, uh, and, and I'm glad that, that there are such good, good creatures around sometimes. And I can even, I can tell a good dog from miles away. <laughs> well, that's what I was going to ask, if you considered anything cute or if it was just those two specific things that they talked about. And it sounds like you do agree that the hedgehog is cute. No, of course they're cute. When, again, I have to point out to the video um, with a toddler who is uh, speaking in invented sort of sentences. Uh, you, just, you just want to want to grab the child and and become a second father or, or being invited to to this family of course it's so so extraordinary yes there is such thing as cuteness i i entirely agree i was afraid that the direction they were going in is that i didn't even know how to relate to a person who didn't think anything was cute because then how do you find anything beautiful how do you find anything no they they just put it out uh, prominently because uh, they are perpetuating an image of me uh, being the uh, the grim, uh, dark, uh, sort of Teutonic guy out there who the doomsdayer, <laughs> and so or, or the one who who uh, takes tough challenges and uh, plots murder and all these things. <laughs> so uh, this is a persona which is which is an, a media invention and it, it perpetuates itself for a while and then it gets lost, fizzles out and is replaced by, by new sort of a persona in which I appear in public. Uh, I cannot change it, it's not my problem, it's their problem. I would like to remind you that in the uh, 70s and into the 80s, at least in Europe, I was considered, before I moved to the United States, I was considered a fascist, the fascist, a fascist toyed filmmaker, German, uh, German filmmaker Werner Herzog, because <clears throat> I had refused to be a participant in the student revolt in the world revolution that was postulated from filmmakers. Uh, if you do not make films that uh, support the, uh, the incoming world revolution and the liberation of the working class, you shouldn't be a filmmaker, you must be a fascist or at least fascistoid. And the ultimate proof for them was the film Aguirre, The Wrath of God, where a mad conquistador, some sort of an imperialist, some sort of a Hitler-like figure, and they translate the characteristics of a leading character into my own character. So uh, it's, it's how these strange, uh, uh, strange personae start to, uh, to emerge. Again, it's not my problem. And I, I cannot really help it and I cannot change it. And I take it with great serenity. 
I don't think someone can make the films that you've made without having a deep love of humanity and of all humans. I, I don't understand that. You simply wouldn't have the tools to make the movies that you've made if you didn't have yeah. the heart that you have. I think they are humanistic, deeply humanistic films. And, and I, I would include in that even the series I did on um, uh, uh, inmates on death row in Texas, in Florida. And I'm the one who, uh, who uh, treats them as human beings. I'm the one who would wear a, a, a formal suit and a tie behind the camera, not visible for the camera, but visible for the inmate to show him my respect. Mm. And everyone else comes in, in casual attire and I take them seriously. And I speak to them knowing that they will be dead in eight days, like in one case. I don't know how to follow that question. I just want to thank you so much and say how much I've enjoyed talking with you. It's a real honor. Very kind of you. <laughs> All the best to your listeners.